uh, actually able to start early. Good to see everybody. Um, moving right through Romans, uh, we're in Romans 7 today, which means we're, we're going to wrap up next week uh, into uh, to Romans 8, it's halfway through the book. We're not going to do the whole book because I've mentioned every week. Um, Romans is 16 chapters long, we're just going through 1 through 8, which is a real mark, and uh, it will end next week. On the high mark of, you know, what then shall separate us from the love of God in Christ, shall height, nor depth, nor angels, nor demons, nor anything else in all creation. So some well-known words. Um, uh, I'm, this is is, is, uh, an overstatement, but I'm as interested in you to see how it ends next week. I have no idea what I'm going to do with Romans 8. In some ways, I stand in front of that with such fear and awe in in all senses of those words. Um, I know this, just going to read the whole thing. We're just going to read all of Romans 8 next week, and I'm going to try to get out of the way and just let Romans 8, which almost, after you go through 1 through 7, doesn't need a lot of explanation, I think. I'm just going to let the words and their weight carry forward. Um, but this week is Romans 7. Um, Paul is kind of tying in a lot of uh, uh, his, uh, his work 1 through 6, as I've mentioned um, most weeks before we pray. Uh, Romans of, of, in fact, most of the books of the Bible, certainly in Paul's letters, uh, Romans is intended, in fact, to be cumulative. Now, you can go into a certain part of the scripture of, uh, of Romans, say in Romans 5, as we've done, and pick it apart and look at you know, Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And take one verse out of its context, out of the rest of the words around it, and, and productively, creatively, um, helpfully uh, look at it, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest it, build doctrine around it. Um, Romans is a book where it's built that way, um, unlike some other books of the Bible where, where it's really not intended to do that. There's a lot of literary, uh, what's called a genre, analysis, just a fancy word to say, you can tell the way Romans is written that it's okay to do that as opposed to, say, a history book where you, that may not be the case, where you take one random verse out of, say, Second Samuel and build a whole doctrine around it. Not, not what you do. Anyway, um, Romans is intended to be cumulative, and so we're accumulating now Romans 1 through 6 with lots of the language being worded, logitsumai, um, that we all alike are under sin, um, from Romans 3, also from Romans 3, now now, a, uh, uh, a righteousness, an important word, um, and lots of variants thereof, a righteousness, a justification from God apart from the law has now been revealed, has now been made known, has now been manifested, has now been brought into our um, conscious awareness. Now, the tide has receded, and that which is there has now been made plain. Uh, all of this is still very much at play as we come into... Paul's reckoning with what he said in in uh, in Romans uh, six, uh, primarily about baptism, where he sort of makes a bridge and speaking uh, from within the ordinary element of water, uh, that an extraordinary event occurs as as we teach our sixth graders and a lot of us get taught, um, and it's a good our, our our catechism, the Episcopal Church still holds this language and it's still good language that a sacrament. That which, it's related to the word saint, that's going to be an important word today. Uh, That which is set apart is set apart um, just because it's an outward and visible sign. In other words, what we can see and sort of demonstrably um, show another 
or be demonstrated unto and sort of understand it, sort of touch it, taste it, feel it, smell it, sense it. Uh, a sacrament is one of those things, uh, but it's an outward invisible sign, so it points to something else. Um, what does it point to? An inward and spiritual. Spiritual is not sort of ephemeral, just sort of floating out here, hanging. Spiritual is tied very directly to the person of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. So it's an outward and spirit, outward and visible sign of an inward and of the Holy Spirit, grace, charis, gift. And so all that's happening as the water is worded, um, as the water has logizomide, as the water is no longer just us baptizing, uh, dipping, immersing a child, an adult, whatever else, into this very ordinary substance, water. Also takes something similar with bread and wine. Takes some of the most ordinary stuff that we have and then does something extraordinary with it. He elevates the mundane into something um, infinite. And so the difference between being baptized, immersed or dipped, um, and being baptized, uh, baptizo, and use the analogy of a, of a, of a, of a cucumber and a pickle, um, because in 200 BC he found a recipe for how to make uh, pickles, and you take a cucumber, uh, and you um, first you, you dip it, you bapto it into uh, water, to hot water to kind of prepare it, to soften it up and all that. And then you baptize it, baptizo, into the vinegar solution so that it becomes something different than it was before. And then as Claire very helpfully at the end of the class came up last week, and really she said something much better than I said after 45 minutes. So after you, after a pickle becomes a pickle, can you, can you go backwards? Well, the answer, of course, is no. <laughs> You know, once it's baptized, it's sealed. And we use that language. You know, Gil Cracky, you were marked as Christ's own, and you were sealed as his own forever. You know, and there's this, he done been baptized. You know, there's that old Steve Martin movie. Um, uh, he's done been baptized. He never goes back. Once you become a pickle, you're always a pickle. And then I found an AA saying out of um, John Zoll's little book here that we'll talk about later. So... That's the intro. That's where we've been. All that's in plain view. It's not like um, if you haven't been here, that's okay. That's why I sort of backtrack and do all that. But all that's in view because Paul's now going to take that and anticipate some of these other questions that we should have about who I am, who God is, and what's the collision like? What's this war that some of us sense that happens? So with all that in mind... um, let me say a prayer and find out which one. Uh, a prayer of Luther as he's describing all this. A prayer for, um, as he called it, for help in keeping the commandments. And there's something, uh, there's a lot of this in, uh, in Romans 7. So let us pray. Lord God, I have indeed transgressed your commandments. I have been impatient in reverses and trials. I am unsympathetic and unmerciful. I do not help my neighbor. I am unable to resist sin. I do not tire of doing wrong. Dear Lord, pour out your grace to me and give me your Holy Spirit that I may be obedient and keep each of your commandments. Help me to be at odds with the world and to give my heart and soul to you. Amen. Um, We'll we'll pick up and and follow some of those themes. So let's read Romans 7. I just want to jump right into it, um, into the text. We'll begin to pick it apart and see where it goes. Um, so Romans 7, uh, some great words, uh, and I realize, and I know I've done this, uh, 
last few years I've worked more with the ESV, the English Standard Version as it's called, than with the other versions. I like ESV, RSV, King James, and the NIV, um, and the little red ones are the NIV, uh, and the white ones that you have are the ESV. And I say that just because I uh, realize that I've been passing out the NIVs and I've been reading from the end. There's usually no big deal, but, but you know, I, I got some of those to make it where it's uh, what I'm reading is the same thing that you're reading if you have the white one. If you have the red one, it's going to be slightly different. Um, so Romans 7, let's read the whole thing. We've got a minute or two. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law. So he's talking to um, uh, uh, sort of cast it out there, most likely Jews, calling them that, those who know the law. Um, could say, I think that's what he is saying, because it's important for, for, for later. Not, anyway, um, let me just stop there. For those who, uh, or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by the law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For, while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now, there's the important but, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. What then shall we say, that the law is sin? By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet, if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandments came... Sin came alive, and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and, th- and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. Then he goes into a lot of sort of, you know, back and forth. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but the very thing I hate. Now if I do, uh, this is always hard to read, Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now, it is no longer I who who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want... It is no longer I who do it, 
but sin that dwells in me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, to Jesus Christ our Lord. No, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. It's dense. It's compacted. It's it's so laden with contrast. You know, there's the law of sin, there's the law of flesh, there's the law of Christ. I know this law at work, and this is happening over here. The thing that I don't want, the thing that I do do, I don't want to do. The thing I don't want to do, that's the very thing I keep on doing. Everything's in this contrast where it's all over the page and it's sort of back and forth and, and, and it's, uh, it's hard, it's dizzying. Um, we'll look at a clip in a, in a moment of, a, of Mike Tyson, in fact, the, the boxer. Um, uh, and, and I think he's a great illustration of this war. Um, with uh, In my inner being, I delight in the law and I want to do good, but in my outer being, what he calls my members... Um, the very thing I don't want to do, I keep on doing, and that war that wages within him, uh, what does that look like? It looks like somebody's all over the page, and that's Mike Tyson. Um, but, uh, but in such an affective and endearing way, sort of building this up, uh, where the expulsion of wretch that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, the spontaneous gratitude, or as the Puritans, the old, an old group, uh, once called it um, an expulsive power of a new affection. I've used that in the class before, where where my old affection, my old desires, my old concupiscence was expulsed, forcibly, you know, flushed, and a new gratitude, a new affection, a new desire for good comes in. Mike Tyson sort of has that moment on national television. So I'm kind of building that up. Uh, but before we get there, and we're going to look at three parts here in Romans, and there's a lot to look at. But we want to look at uh, Romans 7, 1, and then we're going to look at um, uh, verses 8 and 9, and then we're going to look primarily with the Mike Tyson, uh, sort of 23, 24, 25. So Romans 7, 1, Or do you not know that, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? Um, and this comes from Frank Tynes, who's not here, uh, sent me a clip this week from Band of Brothers. We're going to look at that in just a moment to, uh, to, uh, to illustrate this. And it's picking up where I was last week. And I thought I did not explain it very well. This, this, this. And I was even sort of outside of myself, listening to myself, because sometimes I start talking and I'm not really sure what's going to come out. But I didn't say that. Um, and I believe this. But at the same time, I don't believe this. Um, and I made this statement, uh, which I think is true, actually, that... Uh, after baptism, and I don't mean really the physical act, I mean the inward and spiritual act, um, and Paul's going to pick that up in a part of Romans that we don't read in, in, in Romans 10, I think, where it can be the hidden act of God, that we're baptized, not just dipped, that we're actually um, sealed and called by God as his own, whether there's actual event of water or not. Uh, if we belong to God, um, from the way that he sees us, we can no longer sin. That's what I think I tripped over last week. Um, 
uh, and I stood outside myself, and I was like, good night. I mean, is that true? And I was like, well, yeah, that's true. But then, you know, from the inside, it's like, well, that's not the way I know myself. Well, here's this war. Here's this war that Paul's talking about. He's even separated from himself, saying, look, I don't understand what I do. And then I'm over here saying, I don't either. And you go back and forth, and you're like wondering what in the world. Um, that's the title of the class, this, this, this both and and either or that I'm trying to work out. And this scene from Band of Brothers helps a little bit. Let's, um, let's just uh, draw this up. This whole idea that the law is binding. What does Romans 7.1 say? Um, the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. The question is going to be, and Jesus talked about this several times. We, just a couple of weeks ago we heard this. You cannot serve two masters. You can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve the flesh and the spirit. You can't... Um, all these contrasts. The old Adam cannot be in bed with the new Adam. The old self and the new self, he says. The law and the gospel don't sleep together. What's the dividing line in all these? Death. The Bible describes it as death. Not just our physical death. That's certainly the last frontier. Um, and that's the last great enemy that Christ overcame when, when he died and defeated death. But this death, that baptism, again, not just the water event, but actually is sort of the inward event that may or may not be with, with the sacrament that we see it as the church, but some uh, real and actual event that brings somebody to their end that realizes that uh, it is no longer I who live, for that person is dead, uh, but Christ who lives in me. This strange freedom which comes only from death. Now, that's a weird way to put it. Who gets this? Mike Tyson gets this because he's an AA. AA is the best sort of place, and so that's where we're going to sort of draw up to this. But here, um, in a weird way, uh, uh, Band of Brothers, which I've never actually seen. I've seen parts of a few episodes, but I don't have HBO, and so I've not seen, heard great things. There's a, uh, a sergeant, looks like a sergeant. Um, some of y'all may be into it. It's a uh, it's the guy up there, Spears. Some of y'all may know this show. Um, he says an arresting phrase. I like to say what it is so you can kind of know what's coming. Uh, where a young soldier named Blythe admits that on D-Day, after taking air sickness pills, he was really, really tired. And he was able to sort of struggle out and, I guess, fall into a crater, you know, left by, by a mortar shell or something like that. And he fell asleep. And when he woke up, he didn't try to go back and find his unit and fight. He just sort of stayed there safe. And he was ashamed. I mean, just, just, just shame. And, uh, and so the sergeant says, but Blythe, the only hope that you have is to accept the fact that you're already dead. And the sooner you accept that, the sooner you'll be able to function. And then it says this specifically. As a soldier is supposed to function, without mercy, without compassion, without remorse, all war depends on it. And so, is this true? Is it not? Sounds like the devil. What Frank's word was, and I would agree. I think I recast it. The true truth is, you know, that you're already dead. The question is, who's your master? Um, all of this, the theologues in here would be recognizing this sort of thing. Uh, beneath all this, so I haven't used this language, um, is where the uh, the hot issue of the will comes in, and whether or not the, the, our will is bound. Do we have a, a free will or a bound will? Um, all that. And I don't want to get too far into that, but implicit in the statement, the bondage of the will, the question is not, do we have a will? The question is not, do we have choice? 
Hear the phrase, the bondage of the will. The will exists. The phrase is stating the bondage of the will. The will is there. So that, that alone removes everything like determinism, that God is a uh, puppeteer and we're just sort of doing this and he knows. That's not what that phrase describes. The question is, who is your master? To whom in your death and then your new life are you bound? Are you bound to money? Are you bound to, uh, to God? Are you bound to soldierdom? Or are you bound to something else? So let's look at this, kind of massage it, and then I need to pick up the pace. Certainly a lot one could say about that. But right now, just to tie it in with Romans 7, 1, the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. Do you know what your problem is, Blythe? The problem is you've not accepted the fact that you're already dead. Um, Paul, with that statement being a full stop, agrees with that 100%. You know, you are dead, Paul says, several places, most clearly in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. You are dead in your trespasses and sins. Um, uh, it is a statement of identity and condition. Blythe, the way out to freedom is to accept the fact that you're already dead. That's going to be our very peculiar defense to the law, which doesn't die. We die. The law does not die. So the law continues to accuse and to issue its condemnation and its judgment but we continue to, uh, to plead our case, Law, you have me confused with somebody else. Law, you are alive, but I am dead. And the law, law, is binding only to those who are alive. So though I still feel your sting, though I still feel your accusation, 
You see, I know also that I am free in it. What does that produce? A war in my members. We're going to see that at the end of Romans 7. But right now, something a little bit less heavy in, uh, than, uh, than, than, than 1945 Europe. Uh, verses 7, well, this isn't less heavy, but the illustration is going to be less heavy. In verse 7, um, or in, in verses 8 and 9, but sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. So again, the law which is alive, though I am dead, uh, the law incites sin. How does the law incite sin? By bringing about this awareness of my not measuring up to the, what the law's bar is. Don't covet. Well, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> That's a, great. Now I've got a whole other burden that I'm placed upon me. That's what the law does. It wants to heap burden upon burden upon burden upon burden ad infinitum. Uh, so the law, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, it's a pernicious thing, this law. It never sleeps. It seizes every opportunity that it can. Through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. Uh, I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin sprang alive and I died. So coming up for air just for a little bit. What's one way that we see this work out all the time now. It's in our phones, our computers, whatever else. I mean, how quickly? I mean, Best Buy's got this nailed. Because a good marketer, you know, uh, they know human nature. And so those commercials of, of free upgrades or whatever, you know, when you're walking around, you're so proud of your new iPhone 7, and then like, there's an iPhone 8, you know, and they just keep going around, and everybody's got the new one, you know, brand new, except for this one. And they, they, they tap into that. Well, here's another Best Buy commercial. Um, well, let's just watch it. This idea that uh, uh, apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment, this law came, sin springs to life. Uh, the law speaks condemnation, accusation, judgment, and it brings, even in my death, uh, uh, sin, this, this, uh, this covetousness desire. And so Janus here... <laughs> is the voice of the law. Hey, wait, did you just take me out in front of I think that's hilarious. I've never seen that on TV. I saw it. So Janice, the law, the impossible standard we cannot live up to and before whom we remain absolutely and always flawed. We can't say the right thing. Our foot is in our mouth. 100% of the time is open. We all have that person, this Janice. And so it comes out, head of the book club, Janice. And she goes, oh, I love the book club. You know, she's really uncomfortable and tries to throw out these little things. The Janice you can never live up to, Janice. The Janice who still owes you $20 for that sushi. Scorekeeping. You know, the law's always keeping up with, uh, with what's up. Um, jockeying for position. In other words, jockeying for justification. Justification's always a positional statement. Um, not in front of Janice. And then the words, don't live with phone shame. The law incites shame. As I mentioned in passing once before, but it's actually a tremendously important pastoral word, um, shame. 
that statement not only that I did something wrong, but that I am wrong. Um, don't live with phone shame, that I'm not enough. Janice always seems to have it together. Janice is enough, and I never am. I mean, I never am. I mean, that is the law. It never sleeps. Janice never, ever, ever, ever sleeps to this woman. You know what I'm saying? Um, light, but heavy, because we have that. And this actually wrecks marriages, uh, relationships with children, um, opportunities to enjoy your work, uh, uh, the ability to sit in front of a television on a Saturday afternoon and watch a football game and not feel guilty. I mean, it's just, it's just you're bound. It prevents freedom. The Janus in your life, the Janus in my life, stops us from having this freedom, which Paul is so hungrily wanting to fight for. It says, look, you were already dead, and death in a strange and wonderful way, the death that Paul is describing, is in fact the instrument of your freedom. So Romans 7.1, the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. Look, Blythe, don't you already know? If you can accept the fact that you're already dead, that's a peculiar freedom. But apart from the law, sin lies dead. I once was alive apart from the law, when the commandment comes, came, sin sprang, uh, came alive, and I died. Janice, always bringing back the sin in my life and, uh, and, and making me die a thousand deaths. So when jumping all the way down, um, not at all to pass over, uh, in fact, to keep very much in, in, in our minds the, the paragraph from 13 to, uh, to, to 20, what I don't want to do, I keep on doing. What I do want to do, I never seem to be able to do it right. Um, that, as a description of the way most of our life goes most of the time, that's a key insight. That's a key sight in that Romans 7 gives us. So with that, Paul then comes to a summary. This is the Mike Tyson bridge. Um, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, this is verse 21, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members, my outer being, uh, another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God. Um, uh, note the progression of Romans here. We've been baptized, not baptoed. Uh, we've not been just dipped, but we've been uh, immersed in a substance. In, in, in We've been immersed in something which has changed our substance. And now we are something else than we were before. Rather than, than, uh, than alleviating the struggle, Paul is saying the struggle intensifies. Now that's a strange word. He's not yet up to the Himalaya. He actually comes up to a pretty big word in Romans 6 and then pulls us right back down to a wretched place. This happens, but then all that means is you become more aware of, of, uh, of, of, of sin springing to life and constantly accusing us of Janus never sleeping. The struggle continues. Well, as I mentioned, addicts seem to get this, or at least AA and some other things like that. This is a plug in two ways, both for the book, um, which is out in the store, but also in 
two weeks. Andrew Pearson is going to be teaching a four-week class on this book in, um, in, uh, in the assembly hall. So if you wanted to read the book before the class, you're certainly welcome. There will be a lot of repetition, I'm pretty sure, of some of the themes we've talked about in here. To read a couple of paragraphs from this on page 123, uh, uh, John begins to describe something similar. Let me get my mark here uh, to what I'm trying to describe about um, the difference between um, being dipped and being baptized and the cucumber to the pickle, and he, in fact, uses the pickle analogy. Um, in, spite of our newfound, in spite of newfound sobriety, the sober alcoholic, so read you know, what, I, what I was, but what I am, and it goes back and forth. The sober alcoholic still struggles with the same powerlessness that afflicted him in the midst of his drinking. Many Christians would claim that once a person establishes a relationship with the saving God, they become measurably empowered to fend off temptation and self-centeredness through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. AA would look upon this claim with skepticism, as one adage demonstrates, once a pickle, you can't go back to being a cucumber, even if you're no longer sitting in a jar of pickle juice. Uh, in other words, once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. As one gentleman observed, I thought when I got sober that I was no longer going to be Bob, but guess what? I'm still Bob, even though I'm sober. And he goes on later and describes a, uh, another AA, as they call themselves, uh, known as Happy Jack, once told the following story about himself. Last week, I got a resentment at my wife because of language that AA folks will use, a resentment, a, uh, an awareness of Janice speaking in their life and bringing to life an old covetousness, an old bitterness, an old resentment, an old scorekeeping, an old whatever. So they get this intuitively, that when uh, I got a resentment, that whoop, sin sprang to life and I died again. Last week, I got a resentment at my wife because she decided to file for divorce on the one-year anniversary of my mother's death. So I was angry at her, to say the least. So I did what I've always been told to do in AA whenever I'm angry. I went to a meeting, an AA meeting. And do you know what? It didn't help, although it did. And then, a, and then I helped out a new guy in the group who was having a rough time. And you know what? It didn't help, although it did. And then I called my sponsor and told him about the resentment, and he asked me what my part was in all of it. And you know what? That didn't help either, although it did. And so they're getting this, uh, uh, this tension. It didn't help, wretch that I am, although it did. Thanks be to God in Jesus Christ our Lord. So let me pick this apart a little bit more. Um, important distinction between, um, and by the way, I am appreciative of y'all. Um, I feel like I've been able to let loose a little bit in this series and just kind of talk in theological categories, which I really enjoy. And it's actually, anyway, I'll stop. So I'm going to keep going there, so get ready. Um, the distinction between being saved as a sinner is an important distinction, in fact, a tremendously important distinction between being saved from our sins. So let me say a little bit more about that. One way of thinking, and I think it's the most common way of thinking in, in sort of Christianity as a religion that's out there, um, that somehow we are saved from our sins, and that's the role of the gospel, of course, you know, with every, with your eyes closed and, and your knees, you know, bowed, you know, come forward and receive the Lord God as your Savior, as your, uh, as your deliverer and all that, you're saved now from your sins. The implicit idea for most is that that means you're saved to something else. And I've picked on this several times in the class in passing. 
to say that, that you're saved from being a person, homo sapiens is the word I've called it, to something else, homo spiritus, just kind of making that up. And that's wrong. It's wrong, wrong, wrong. Uh, this way of thinking that we're somehow saved from our sins and saved to someplace else where we sin less is wrong. This person, um, as the thinking goes, which is as, as much of a fairy tale as a fairy godmother, that person is called a Christian. That person is called a saint. And so that's why we get this language that, well, you know, she's such a saint, Mother Teresa. I mean, I can never be like her. What does that mean? It means that she's better than I am, that she's gooder than I am, that she does more good things than I do, that somehow she's, she's not a sinner as like I am anymore. She's not as sinful. She's more sinless. And I want to say that's wrong, and then I want to say that's wrong, and then I want to say one more time, that's wrong. It's really important to get this right, that we're not saved to something else outside of our sins. Um, what, what, what does it mean? Um, uh, it means another way of thinking about this, and AA gets it, and Mike Tyson gets it, uh, is that we are saved as sinners to something else, but that something else is actual and real, and that's a Christian. That is a Christian, as the Bible uses that word, really only one time in Acts. Uh, but, it, but, but to say that we're saved to this way of thinking of, of being a Christian with a both and and an either or, that's a part of it. Uh, the both and, we are both sinner and saint. That's the simul justus et peccator that the mug outside in the bookstore talks about. Latin phrase for we are simultaneously sinful and righteous. What does that mean? It means both of these are identity words. And before God, before God, once we are sealed by the, by the Holy Spirit in baptism and marked as his own forever, we then from that point forward, forever, are now a pickle, and we can't go back. We are something else. And in that sense, we can no longer sin, meaning that God no longer sees anything that we do or don't do, say or don't say, anything else, the desire and inclination of our heart, and impute it to our account negatively. He only imputes that fancy word from Romans 4, only reckons or credits our account for what God has already done. Now, here I am standing over here looking at this guy saying, what are you saying? And what I'm saying is that is a radical idea because that means, I, can you do anything then and, uh, and God won't care? Well, I'd want to reframe the question and say, yes, I am free to do anything and I'm secure in Christ. What comes out of my members is something different. This war that then is waged between my inner being and my outer members, what does it produce? It produces that peculiar tension where what I don't do is go out, as Plato would say, and, 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 and kill the king, rape his wife, and steal his jewels. Remember the, the, the parable that he told of the magic ring? Um, if you remember uh, that, that's what, what, what Plato would say you would do. Paul would say... 
you'd be free to do that, but that's not the way it goes in actual practice. Paul Zoll's language. Grace in practice, you don't do that. So the both and and either or is that God doesn't see you either. No, God radically sees you either or. Either as a sinner or as a saint. Saint is not a qualitative statement of morality or goodness. He doesn't see you as being good, better than Charles, better than Claire, better than anybody else. He sees you simply with his son's robes on, and he counts all of his son's credit to your account. He sees you either that or as a, uh, as a sinner. Full stop. That's the, both, that's the either or. God sees it radically black and white. The both and is how I see myself. I both see myself uh, as a sinner and a saint. Not either or, but the both and. Um, And only outside of myself, as I'm standing over here, do I see myself as I actually am. For within here, I don't see myself as less sinful. I see myself only and completely as a sinner. Which is why the old prayer book language of miserable offender or there is no health in me, um, all that language retains that, 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 that radicality of this idea of, of simul justus et peccator, that I am a sinner and I'm not just sinful. I'm not just afflicted by behavior. I have a, 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 a disease right through to my inner being. So this radicality of, of, uh, of both and and either or. Let's get to Mike Tyson so we can wrap up. Um, uh, shoot. Um, yeah, let's just do this. Step one, two, and three, you remember AA. Um, step one, powerlessness and unmanageability. I cannot manage my life. Step two, I came to believe in a passive voice and a power greater than myself could uh, restore me to sanity, could bring me back to reality, in other words. And then step three, our lives and our wills were given over to the care of God. That sounds like repentance to me. Powerlessness, unmanageability, something outside of me can fix things and then it's taken from me and put to right. I want to say that's called metacardia, to borrow Fritz Allison's phrase from Lent. Um, Mike Tyson here on national TV as he's working his ninth step, he, uh, which is to um, go forth and make amends, uh, gets all this. Uh, three months ago. Maybe two months ago. What I want to do, I don't do. Now he's all over the place. Like War in my members. Just like, like a hot feeling McCoy. I kind of explained to them, and um, I made the right decision. I made cuss proud of him. I made him feel good about myself. I hate myself. I'm trying to kill myself. I hate myself a lot. Made myself, myself, myself proud of me. I hate myself. I, myself. I don't do that much. And I was happy I did that. And um, maybe it was overwhelming to Teddy and he didn't get it yet, but he has to know this is sincere. I don't want to fight you no more. I was wrong. I'm sorry. I was wrong. And I just wanted to make my men. If he accepted it or not, at least I could die and go to my grave and say I made my men with everybody that I had hurt. 
And I, um, it's all about love and forgiveness. And in order for those guys to forgive me, um, I, other guys, you know, I want people to forget the things I did. I'm a mother. I'm a bad guy sometimes. And I, used, and I, I did a lot of bad things. I want to be forgiven. And so in order for me to be forgiven, I hope they can forgive me. The explosive life. power is about to hit him. You can watch it. It just goes bang. There it is. I had to drink uh, two drugs in six days. And for me, that's a miracle. I've been lying to everybody else think I'm so so we got to go. I think that's a fantastic clip. Um, when he's just all over the place and he's just blah, 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 blah. And he says, wow, that's, that approximate. It's, it's, it's imperfect. But that gets close to thanks be to God and Jesus Christ our Lord. Where this, this spontaneous expression of gratitude, which is the same root as grace, States the way things actually are. I haven't, I haven't drank or I've done drugs in six days. And he's just like, that's a miracle. I didn't do this. It's not me. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, my only mediator and advocate. Thanks be to God through the only one who can mediate, stand between God and his wrath, rightful wrath, and my sin. And thanks be to God, the one who can advocate on my behalf. Because a dead man doesn't advocate for himself very well. Um, and that is the that then is Paul's bridge to the soaring height of the Himalaya next week of, uh, of Romans 8. So let me pray. Lord, it was rushed. It was broken. Um, take these words and, and do something uh, helpful uh, in the sense of, of speak to each of us where we desperately need you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.